research that resonates. Schweitzer has not been wrong on any of his years and years of reporting on the Bidens. Investigations that matter. If your last name wasn't Biden, do you think you would have been asked to be on the board of Burisma? I don't know. I don't know. Probably not. But that's, you know, I, I don't think that there's a lot of things that would have happened in my life that, uh, that if my last name wasn't Biden. The only entities, the only people that would report on this, and Peter Schweizer, who deserves a Medal of Freedom, in my view. This is The Drill Down with Peter Schweitzer. Hi, this is Peter Schweitzer, and it's great to be back on The Drill Down, where we relentlessly expose cronyism, corruption, and the abuse of power. And I'm joined, as always, uh, by my uh, friend and colleague, Eric Eggers. He's an author, and he's vice president of the Government Accountability Institute, who filled in for me without adult supervision on the last couple episodes while I was down with COVID. So, Eric, thanks for doing that, and it's good to see you. Yeah, I don't know that you can say that we relentlessly expose cronyism and corruption, <laughs> given your physical frailty and your lack of ability to consistently do so, at least as evidenced by the last two weeks. But it is uh, great to have you back. We did some some solid work with Jason Chaffetz, but nothing compares to the man, the myth, the legend. It's like when Michael Jordan came back. Uh-oh, you know, uh-oh. it's like you're a little bit. You're, you're wearing Which number, time? Well, Which exactly. Time? The, the, the number forty five, Michael Jordan. You know, <laughs> maybe next week you be back to twenty three. <laughs> great. I I uh, certainly hope so. Well, today we're going to take uh, our attention and focus it halfway around the world. We're going to start in Ukraine with the brewing crisis there. Uh, that's a crisis, of course that's 300 years old. For 300 years, the Russians have said Ukraine really is part of us. Uh, and that's the way it's been historically. So it belongs to us now. And of course, the Ukrainians say, well, no, not really, because for the last 300 years, we were involuntarily connected with you. They uh, got their independence after the collapse of the Soviet Union. And yet here we are at a crisis again. And so we're going to look at that issue, but we're going to look at it the way that GAI usually does, which is follow the money, look at cronyism, corruption, and how decisions are being made by the Biden administration now that reflect the commercial and financial interests of the people in the Biden administration. And if you think about it, the commercial and financial interest of the people in the Biden administration is sort of the context in which we've consumed any news about Ukraine in the last five years, right? It used to be the, for me, not being a geopolitical scholar, like I knew about the Ukraine from that Seinfeld episode (laughs) reference, right? When they get in the fight, playing risk on the subway. But over the last five years with Hunter Biden and his connection to Ukrainian natural gas company Burisma, and then obviously there's been an impeachment or two (laughs) related to issues. Which related to your reporting on this issue. I mean, Ukraine has been in the news and then the, the fight and the, the contest, the, the dispute over which territory belongs to whom. And, you know, Ukraine and Russia have different takes on that. But right now, it's kind of wild. There's 120,000 Russian troops just sitting around on the border uh, poised to invade. And yep. so, you know, as you know, luckily, diplomat in chief Joe Biden, he's on it. Don't right, worry about right, it. Right. Uh, he said, quote, I made it very clear to Vladimir Putin, if he invades Ukraine, there will be severe consequences. Now, what kind of consequences do you think he's talking about? <laughs> Would they be military consequences? No, <laughs> no, right. no military, at least not right. by himself. He said, well, we have to check with NATO and see what what NATO wants to do. But he did say, quote, economic consequences like none he's ever seen or ever have been seen. And he says that he thinks Vladimir Putin got the message. <laughs> Well, Joe, I think, uh, believes a lot of people get the message uh, when there's not evidence for it. Um, And the question we really have to look at is, how is the Biden administration handling this? And how are we in what I would argue a chaotic situation? Because the Biden administration is pursuing a policy that is far, far softer 
than anything Donald Trump did. And in fact, a lot of the things that they accused Donald Trump of, we're going to talk about this in detail, with the uh, you know Steele dossier that ended up being proven com- a complete fabrication, you could argue that, that they are doing in a different form. It's the classic example of you think of the guy who, you know, sits down with you and says, yeah, our buddy there, our friend. He's got a massive drinking problem. And then the friend that tells you that goes off and does vodka shots in the corner. You know, I don't talk about your personal life. on the internet, so I I, Oh, sorry. Uh, no, it's a great analogy and certainly not one I relate to at all. And I think uh, the point is there's a high level of hypocrisy that we're seeing because they did. Like for years, you heard that Trump was Putin's puppet, right? right. Trump only was elected because of collusion with Russia. Maybe, right. in fact, the election was back in 2016. It was OK right. to suggest that the election was undermined. Not legitimate. Maybe, yeah. Not legitimate because, oh, we're somehow Russia, you know, dot, 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 cyber attack, dot, dot, dot. Clearly not my president. Right. Right. Um, but in fact, now it's the Biden administration being completely soft, as one analysis from The Hill put it, said the prospect that Washington might follow another nation's lead and might rather than play its own customary leadership role effectively means Western force is off the table now and Ukraine is going to be on its own in a direct conflict with Russia, right? Yeah. And so, I mean, there's even this push to, hey, can we give them some weapons? Like, what kind of aid can we give it? And all we got so far is tough talking Joe yeah. and uh, economic sanctions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, man. Come on. Come on, man. So let's talk a little bit about how we got to this point in the Biden administration, because it's been a series of steps and initiatives uh, that they've taken uh, that are quite bizarre. Um, because remember, the background story here was that we were told for years was that Donald Trump was was uh, Putin's puppet and that Joe Biden was vigorously standing up to defend the Ukrainians and going to stand up for Ukrainian democracy. So what is one of the first things that Joe Biden does when he becomes president of the United States? He ends American opposition to something called the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. Nord Stream 2. It's kind of a strange name, but this is a pipeline uh, from Russia that would replace effectively an existing pipeline. Guess what that one's called. (laughs) (laughs) We like to keep these things simple. That first pipeline, Nord Stream (laughs) 1, that first pipeline runs from Russia through Ukraine into Europe. Um, And why is that important? Well, because that existing pipeline runs through Ukraine, which means that, number one, Ukraine was making a billion dollars a year from Russia shipping this gas. And number two, Ukraine actually had leverage over Russia because if Russia was threatening them, they could threaten to shut down the pipeline. That would hurt the amount of money that Russia got. Putin, of course, didn't like that. That's one of the reasons they came up with the Nord Stream 2 idea. Let's bypass Ukraine. So we don't have to deal and and give money to the pesky Ukrainians. When they announced this idea, the Trump administration said what? Said, uh, we're not so sure about this. Right. right? I mean, because to be clear, Nord Stream 2 is going to be the first time ever Russia is directly connected to Western Europe in terms of their ability to, some would say, deliver. Other people would say leverage their access to energy technology and just energy period to be able to distribute it. Right. And I don't know if, you know, Vladimir Putin seems like the kind of guy that would use his access to and the fact that he's responsible for delivering energy to Western Europe in an irresponsible way. But people in the Trump administration at least said, hey, this is kind of a concern for us. In 2019, the U.S. ambassador in Germany Richard Grinnell. He sent a lot of letters to the companies that were working on this project, urging them to stop and threatening them with sanctions. Right. So like right. the Trump administration consistently saying bad idea, not good for 
global peace and uh, the health of democracies. Ted Cruz and Ron Johnson, Republican senators, have also been aggressively working to stop this pipeline period, threatening that they would impose uh, sanctions. Ted Cruz actually has even introduced legislation uh, just last month, right, to try to stop that. But that's not really where the Biden administration is. No, I mean, the Biden administration changed all that. It's really important here, by the way, to point out that the United States can stop that pipeline. The reason the Trump administration proposed uh, sanctions uh, and that they were going to oppose the pipeline is the pipeline is built with proprietary U.S. technology. Uh, Reagan did this in the 1980s with a natural gas pipeline. And the same thing applies here. Federal law says if you are building a project we don't agree with, you cannot use U.S. company technology to complete it. So this project can be stopped by the United States. That's what Trump said they were going to do. Along comes Joe Biden. Uh, saying, no, actually, we don't have a problem um, with this pipeline. In fact, they told Ukraine to stop criticizing the Nord Stream 2 project, um, which is ridiculous because Ukrainians are totally screwed by this deal. Like That's pretty wild, right? we got Republican senators saying, hey, this is a really bad idea. But uh, Joe Biden, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken says, actually, we, we just prefer you not say anything negative about it. You know, what's the old saying? If you don't have anything nice to say, <laughs> don't say anything. Else. That's basically what our Secretary of State told Ukraine. Yeah, that's exactly right. So so you have at this level of the Biden administration, um, you know, saying we've got no problem with this deal. And then you find the Democrats on Capitol Hill Hmm. start falling in line. And so, you know, let me ask you this. You know, you've got Chuck Schumer, you've got Nancy Pelosi, who were initially uh, opposed to the project during the Trump administration. Now they're kind of lukewarm and say we ought to let this thing go. But why do you think they might have had a change of heart? So turns out. You know, stop me if you've heard this one before. (laughs) There may be a well-connected lobbyist who's who's actually employed by. And there may actually be money involved. Money involved and uh, a well-connected lobbyist that's employed by Nord Stream 2 who has happens to be close with Chuck Schumer, Nancy Pelosi and other Democrat leaders. Right. His name is Vin Roberti. And apparently it sounds this, like a Ukrainian name, by the way, it, it does not. I don't know. You must not know any Ukrainians. <laughs> Chuck, this is another thing that Peter Schwarzer knows nothing about, like parking in where any <laughs> like anything that normal people do. So, uh, yeah, but this guy, Chuck, I mean, this guy, Vin Roberti, would be like you and that he's not a normal person. My man's got houses all over the place. He's been an advisor to foreign governments. He's like it says on his personal bio page. He's been an advisor to the president of Serbia. He's been involved in Cyprus. You know, just just a little casual consulting with the government of Cyprus. But he's also a big time deal with Democrat politicians like Nancy Pelosi gave a toast at his wedding. Um, He's been a big time donor to Chuck Schumer and to a host of of top Democrat officials. So once Nord Stream 2, which, again, it's important to point out that Nord Stream 2 is is owned by Gazprom. Right. Which is owned by the Russian government. Correct. So this guy, in a sense, works for the Russian government. Absolutely. Right. And he's over here and there's a, there's a piece that's saying how Putin paid Chuck Schumer. And, you know, that's a little iffy. Right. But what, basically what it is fair to say is that the lobbyist that works for essentially Russia is a big time Democrat 
power broker and has actively contributed hundreds of thousands of dollars to campaigns over the years. That's exactly right. That's so, so just to tell you who Roberti is, this is not a lobbyist I had heard of before. Right, I me know, neither. I know a fair number of them, but you know, he is he is one of those guys that that works the back room. A GQ magazine in May of 2010 actually said that Roberti embodies the Hollywood ideal of a Washington power broker. You call Vin if your legislation is in trouble or really your life is. So Vladimir Putin must have been reading GQ magazine because that is who Gazprom hired to lobby for them beginning in 2017. Let me just correct you real quick. Vladimir Putin is GQ magazine, <laughs> sir. Is this the picture of him with a naked chest riding the bear that that uh, is out? On I'll the never see another picture of Vladimir Putin. <laughs> so here's the thing about uh, Roberti. Just in 2021, he's already given $11,600 to Schumer. He's given the same to Pelosi. He's raised a lot of um, money for other political committees. And now you have, um, you know, Chuck Schumer, um, who is out supporting the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. And here's the the, the rich irony in all of this, uh, which is Chuck Schumer in 2018 said this, a single ominous question now hangs over the White House. What could possibly cause President Trump to put the interests of Russia over those of the United States? Insinuating what? insinuating that he is in Putin's pocket. Right. And and here's the, 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 the problem. When he made that statement, he couldn't cite a single policy example because Donald Trump was actually very tough on Russia, and I think rightfully so. And yet here you have Chuck Schumer, who is now supporting the Nord Stream 2 pipeline, which is a massive win uh, for Vladimir Putin. But Beyond Capitol Hill, there are actually people within the Biden administration itself, to go back to my analogy of the vodka shots, right. who were spreading the rumors about Donald Trump uh, being compromised by Russia, but who are themselves actually doing deals with Russia. You know, I just got that that's like a vodka shot thing, which is a Russian liquor. That's a high level oh, thank metaphor. You. Thank you. you know? took, I didn't use tequila. I use vodka. No, I, <laughs> that, let's don't take that out of context. So, yeah, no, it's, it's a great it's a great metaphor. But to the point, there's Biden administration officials who were responsible for pushing these rumors that came from right. this deal dossier. But by the way, like, I mean, we'll talk about these other people that are in the administration. But I think it's fair to point out Joe Biden's history with sort of Russian uh, kind of acquiescence himself, right? Yeah. According to Obama's Secretary of Defense, Bob Gates, Joe Biden was the leading voice in favor of sweeping the Russian spy ring issue under the rug back when that was a big deal. In 2010. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Right. And uh, Joe Biden was actually, you know, we, there's a big picture of Hillary Clinton touching the red button that says Russian reset. But apparently Joe Biden was actually the first Obama administration official to issue the words, quote, we need to press the reset button with Russia. Right. right. And remember that reset, by the way, was less than a year after Russia had invaded neighboring Georgia. Yeah. We need a reset. No, you don't <laughs> need a reset. You need to stand up to Vladimir Putin, which is the same situation we have here. And I think this is an important point to, to bring up, too. So uh, one of the first books I worked on you with when we started the Government Accountability Institute was this book called Extortion. And what extortion yeah. showed is essentially I thought it was a, such a, a brilliant take on it. Um, is that the politicians, it looks like they're fighting, but they're actually business partners, right? right and, they're, right. and they love it when there's conte 
contested issues. Oh, absolutely. Because what it allows them to do, and you document this in, in the book Extortion, is it allows them to raise money on both sides, right? right? So they're introducing the legislation that like might uh, regulate telecom or something, per se, right? They'll, well, they'll hold fundraisers and they'll take in checks from the people that are pro-regulation and they'll take checks from the businesses that are anti that regulation, right? right? right. So that they benefit truly from the conflict. And what I think is interesting in, in that frame the Biden family actually has benefited from both sides, if you think about it, they have. of the Russian-Ukrainian conflict, right? Everybody knows that Hunter Biden has been paid seven figures, at least, because yep. working for Burisma. The he got f- $4 million from Burisma from yeah. the Ukrainians. Right. He got 3.5 from Yelena Batarina, the uh, You have wife. to tell people who that is. And uh, yeah, she is the wife of the ex-mayor of Moscow and somebody allied with Putin. So in this case, it seems like the Ukrainians put more money in the till. But the point is, that's exactly right. They, if, if you view political service, public service as a business model, yeah. um, you love the idea of various people competing uh, for your favor because the Senator John Bro once said, I'm not for sale, but I'm for rent. <laughs> That's and the thing it, about Louisiana. They're so honest. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but the, the point is that, yeah, I'm going to take $4 million from the Ukrainians. But if a Russian entity comes up and is often to pay, pay me more, my rental agreement with the Ukrainians might end. And, and the Bidens have been in the middle of this um, for really a decade. When you when you look at a lot of the deals, the, the deals Hunter was trying to get in Russia, the ones he ended up getting, the deals in Ukraine, this has been part of the Biden business model. And it's all sloshing around while Joe Biden is supposed to be making commercial decisions here. And while people that worked for the Obama administration and now work for the Biden administration were actively telling us that, in fact, it was Trump and Trump's people that were beholden to the Putin people. Right. So like Jake Sullivan, who at the time, back when the Steele dossier was a thing, we're being told, hey, by the way, guys, this has heavily leveraged to uh, Vladimir Putin. Jake Sullivan was a Clinton campaign foreign policy advisor when the Steele dossier was brought to his attention. So from then on, he goes on basically any network that would have him and he's spreading the rumors about, hey, this is a real guy. Yep. Well, what's Jake Sullivan doing now? Uh, Jake Sullivan is uh, the national security advisor in the White House and he supports ending opposition to the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. Huh. Pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. A big win for Vladimir Putin. Um, Sullivan is fascinating because he has a long history of being involved with various aspects of Russia business dealings. You remember one of the things we exposed about Bill Clinton uh, and the Clinton Foundation, the fact that he took a half a million dollar uh, payment to to give a quote unquote speech in Moscow while his wife was secretary of state. Well, a State Department official who handled that rather delicate issue was... Jake, Jake Sullivan, which just just because sometimes, you know, Peter's a nerd. You know what I mean? I knew how it is when you talk to nerds. It's like they're so into the details. Yeah. So we get excited. Stuff. And it's like it's important to say, OK, I think I think I know what that means. But let's just be clear about what that means. One of the guys who's now the guy in charge of like helping craft foreign policy and like protecting U.S. interests and things like that was and who helped spread one of the most aggressive voices yeah. spreading the rumor about Trump's uh, being complic- on the take from being Russia. on the take from Russia yeah. actually has experience right. facilitating a deal between Russian interests and US officials. Exactly. That's exactly right. 
And we could add another name to that list, Victoria Newland, who is now the Undersecretary of State for Political Affairs at the State Department. She was also a senior State Department official yep. uh, in the Obama administration. And she was actually also somebody who was uh, played a very prominent role in forwarding the dossier to the FBI and within the organs of government. And Victoria Newland, again, is somebody who has taken a soft position as it relates to Russia. So why is this important? Why does it matter? Number one, it shows the deceptive nature of what they're doing. But number two, it has to be said, the Steele dossier was not some sort of college prank organized by a couple of interns at the DNC as the levels have been sort of pulled back on this. Uh, We now know, uh, based on, um, you know, the stuff coming out from the Independent Council, that Igor Danchenko, uh, who is one of the people behind the Steele dossier, uh, he's been charged with making false statements to the FBI. But what's come out is that he has long been rumored to have close ties to Russian intelligence. So think about that for a second. You've got guys like Jake Sullivan, Victoria Newland, who are now setting policy towards Russia. Yeah, that's pretty soft. We're involved with the Steele dossier. And one of the people involved in the Steele dossier is this individual that reportedly has connections to Russian intelligence. I don't see any problems there whatsoever. And I so like so that's obviously quite alarming. But I think even to, to kind of like so why does this matter to the listener and how does this impact you know, the average American citizen. So obviously right now there's a lot going on. You know, there's sort of, it's funny, there's two channels, not just of media in terms of like where, what your political belief is, but there's also sort of like two channels, like what government officials are taking action towards, like, right. do you think it's important, you know? Right. So like people are pursuing this January 6th commission and there's a lot of concern there and it's being held up as, you know, the, the greatest attack on U.S. soil since Pearl Harbor. Right. But we recently acknowledged the 70th anniversary of it. Okay. So... But if you think about January 6th, and let's say, yeah, not a great thing. It's a tragedy. People died. But where did January 6th come from? I think it came from the fact that people were inherently distrustful of the things that the government told it about the the way in which the country was being run. And we're supposed to, you know, people didn't want to accept what they're being told about the election outcome. Right. Well, when you look back in four years ago, they were actively lied to Mm -hmm. about one of the two candidates, and oh, by the way, that candidate was being actively spied on, right, 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 by the sitting administration that represented the other political party, you sort of can understand why people are hesitant or yeah. skeptical yeah. about- They don't trust government. Right. About and they the don't trust they're told because they lie to them blatantly, and then they end up doing the same thing that they're accusing other people of. Again, that guy over there is an alcoholic- I'm going to go do the vodka shots in the corner. And that is the reason you get distrustful government. And all these initiatives you're hearing about today, oh, we need to uh, increase faith in our democratic system. No, we don't. The problem is not the system. The problem are the corrupt leaders. Um, They are not going to lead us back to trusting government and and us having faith in government. What's going to lead it back is to holding leaders into account that lie and deceive and engage in policies like they're doing towards Russia policy right now that benefit their buddies, their friends that are lobbyists, their own campaign chests, and the commercial interests that they have. Accountability is the path forward, not some sort of vague notion that everybody just trusts the system. The system works. It's the leaders we're getting that are the problem. And this is not a story without consequences, not the least of which is a new pipeline that will only enrich Vladimir Putin, both financially and politically. Right. Right. Which, you know, you talk about back to 
what did Obama say to Mitt Romney? Yeah, the 80s called. They want their foreign policy back. Well, how about the 2020s? We'll yeah, see where we're at yeah. there, right? Yeah, it's it's remarkable because during the Trump administration, every time uh, Donald Trump said something nice about Vladimir Putin, yeah. um, everybody would go apoplectic and say, oh, he's giving this him this big victory. He's big, giving him this big advantage. What bigger victory has he had? than the United States backing down in opposition to the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. There is none. Right. There is none. You cannot look back over the last decade, at least, and find something that has been a bigger favor for Vladimir Putin. And let me say, by the way, there are some people in, in American politics, um, even you know conservatives, that have this sort of like quasi-like and respect for Vladimir Putin. Um, let me just say, if that's your view, you don't know Vladimir Putin. This is a corrupt conniving leader who loved the Soviet Union. He says the greatest catastrophe in human history was the collapse of the Soviet Union. This guy loved Joe Stalin. He is not a, you know, Russian, quote unquote, nationalist who's just looking up for his interests. He is part of a corrupt communist system. And this is the guy who the Biden administration has done this massive favor for, and they got nothing in return. And how is it being rewarded? It's now being rewarded with 120,000 Russian troops sitting on Ukraine's doorstep because they know they've got them. Right. First off, I just want to say Reagan era commie scare. Peter Schweitzer is the best Peter Schweitzer. <laughs> but, but Red Dawn, Wolverines. Yeah, but, but but it's not unfair to connect the dots, right? Absolutely so, so Vladimir not. Putin gets access to this thing that's only going to make him more empowered. Yeah. And oh, by the way, he now is prepared to potentially send 120,000 troops into contested territory because he knows no one will do anything about it. That's correct. That's correct. And and what you're getting from the Biden administration is weakness. It's not backed based on lack of information. It's based on fundamental weakness and the commercial inches we've been talking about. So Hey, Thank you. This has been a lot of fun dude, to be welcome back. Welcome back, man. Good Thank job. you. It's good to be back. It's good to be talking about the global stage, uh, <laughs> corruption and cronyism always. Uh, if you're interested in our podcast, please go to thedrilldown.com. And thank you for joining us. Until next time, uh, this is Peter Schweitzer and Eric Eggers on The Drill Down. <laughs>